Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, that song's kind of inspired but from the Old Testament story where the prophet looked out the window and he saw that the enemies of God were all surrounding them. And, but then he had to be reminded by the elder prophet, take another look. And when he looked outside again, he could see that the angels of the Lord were surrounding the enemy. And it looked like he was surrounded, but he was actually surrounded by God. And sometimes that's exactly how our life feels. We look at the, the landscape and we see all of the different things that are lined up against us. And it's particularly easy when, you know, you have a, a disposition that, and some, let's be honest, some of us have a disposition where we're always expecting the worst. You know? And, uh, you know, that whole thing, I, I watched the newest Spider-Man movie the other day, right? And uh, Spider-Man's uh, girlfriend in there, MJ, they're looking at, they're getting their letters, you know, of acceptance into MIT or whatever. And she said, well, I always just take the approach that I always expect the worst, then I'm never disappointed. And I thought, what a terrible way to live your life. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The Bible says we put our hope in the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some trust in men, but we put our trust in the Lord our God. Amen? And we're not looking for life to fail. We're looking for life to succeed. We are anticipating what God wants to do by his grace and his mercy. Amen? And so, you know, we just cast off that kind of stuff and we say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I realize it looks like I'm surrounded, but I'm actually surrounded by you and I can't lose for winning. Amen? Are you hearing me? That doesn't mean you won't go through difficult times. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but it doesn't end there. The next breath it says, but the Lord delivers them out of the hand of every one of them. Amen? And that's the God that we serve. Amen? And sometimes we need to be reminded of that over and over again. I want you to just hold your hands out like this this morning with me. Father, we receive the victory that you have for us. Father, it doesn't matter how many enemies of, of yours are surrounding me. And I look around everywhere. I look, it seems like something's stacked up against me. But God, I recognize, Lord, with the eyes of the Spirit, that those that are for me are more than those that are against me. That, Father, that you have aligned not only your Holy Spirit and your angelic community with me, but, Father, you've placed brothers and sisters in my life to stand with me, to hold me firm, Lord, to build me up and to encourage me in the journey that I'm in so that God I rise up victorious in Jesus name and father I receive that today in my life in Jesus name amen amen praise the Lord you can be seated praise the Lord worship team thank you so much praise God I know you practiced because it was supposed to be a special Sunday this morning and you're all worked up but now you get to do it again next week amen and I want to say a special thanks to Brendan. He, he came in, he worked on these lights and stuff so he could have everything just timed and perfect. And I don't know how much time he put into it. And then I had to tell him yesterday, ah, we're not actually having the kickoff Sunday this Sunday. It's going to be next Sunday. Okay. And he's just ready to do it again. Amen. So put your hands together for them. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. It's nice to have people that are passionate about doing things for the kingdom of God. Amen. 
And I don't want to stop you from doing that either. So we have lots of places you can volunteer here at DS. And, uh, you know, we need help in, uh, you know, primary department. You know, I think we got some spots filled this week uh, in the twos and threes, but we could still use some more help. It's nice if we have the schedule so full that we have different, as many as six different teams of volunteers in there. And then we are able to keep people in rotation and they're not missing the service every Sunday, that kind of thing. So if you can help out, if you're able-bodied, you have a pulse, you love Jesus, and you love kids, then you can help there. If you, if you have, a, you know, able to help in any other, you just let us know. We'd like to facilitate you serving uh, and being a blessing. Amen? Praise the Lord. I got a few special interest stories I want to share this morning. First one is in Kansas City. Did you know on Friday morning in Kansas City, little signs popped up all over the city on, on, on Friday morning? And those little signs all over the city, you know those little ads you pull off the piece of paper at the bottom of it, you know, where there's a phone number or whatever, and it was an email address. And it says, if you can catch a football, why don't you show up for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, uh, practice this week? Because uh, Pat, and, and, the, and the email you're supposed to respond to was Patrick Mahomes needs someone who can catch at gmail.com or something like that. And those appeared all over the city on Friday. Thought it was hilarious, was fantastic, and I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Sorry, Mike, but I had to tell that story. Uh, anyway. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Football started on Thursday night. Amen. And uh, so it was pretty funny. I couldn't help it. Another, another incredible story I saw this week. I was showing it to my wife last night. These people own a dog rescue. And they got this little puppy. The thing's called Tiny, appropriately. And he's like literally this big. And he's only got three legs. Right? And, and so they brought this dog there. And he can barely even stand up. And, and he's not able to really walk. And they have it on video of this older dog, a Siberian husky that lives at the rescue as well, an able-bodied full uh, husky. And that husky pulls his one arm up like this and showed the little puppy how to walk on three legs. I'm not making this up. Most incredible video. I was like, I tried to extract it from the people website and I couldn't get the video off of there but the dog puts his paw up like this and then shows the little dog how to walk on three legs and then the little dog falls behind him on three legs is that not amazing I'm telling you that if that doesn't make your day uh, there's something wrong with you you know you're probably a cat lover and you need Jesus to deliver you from that or something I don't know but but as a dog lover I saw that and I said is there any reason on earth that you cannot notice that dog spelt backwards is God. I mean, come on now. Right there. Hallelujah. Wow. Amazing. Totally amazing. Uh, you know, sometimes the news, you, all you look is you see all these bad news things. I look for those kind of stories in the news. Uh, the ones that make me laugh, the ones that, 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 you know, encourage me. And I saw that and I thought, that is just amazing. That that older dog was teaching the younger dog how to walk on three legs. Absolutely incredible. Well, uh, that's all for free this morning. Sorry, Mike, I had to tell that first story. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we want to thank you uh, visitors for coming out this morning and uh, want to apologize that you're not going to get a barbecue today. <laughs> but if you come back next week, you'll get a barbecue. Whether rain or shine, we're going to just have to do it. We're going to pull out all the stops and it will be a great time. Uh, bring your kids, bring your neighbor's kids, bring strangers' kids. We don't care. Just come on out and uh, we would love to have you with us on next Sunday. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time together here. Uh, come and get your face painted. I did it last year. My grandkids absolutely loved it. Uh, what did I have, like a butterfly in my face? Uh, I think it was, Sherry. A bunny? Oh, that's right. I was the bunny, and uh, Chuck was the butterfly. You, uh, <laughs> uh, 
that was priceless, Chuck. I'm telling you, it was uh, absolutely beautiful to see big beard and then the butterfly wings coming up off the face. Just awesome. Uh, but anyway, it's going to be a great day. We don't want you to miss out on it. And uh, it's going to be a spectacular time. Um, yeah, the parenting course, I just want to also reiterate, uh, make sure you sign up for that. We are looking forward to it. Uh, the, it's a very challenging time. And I know some people that actually tell me they don't really think that they want to have children because of the day and age we live in. And I say, no, 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 that's the wrong, wrong way to think. We need to raise up young men and women of God to take the nations for the name of Christ. Amen. And, uh, and you just need to raise your level of influence in that child's life so that it's greater than the influence of the world. Amen. Because we are not defeated. We are overcomers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I just want you to know that I'm one of those people who believes in a victorious church. Why? Because the scripture says we're victorious. Hello? And I believe the word, right? The Bible challenges us. It asks the questions, whose report will you believe? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay. So all of that's for free this morning. Let me get down to business. So I'm ending this morning. uh, I'm ending all of our study that we've done on the gifts uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit in the modern age. And we looked at that, uh, we talked a number of weeks about just how the Holy Spirit's working, and then we focused on the three sets of gifts in Scripture. And if you'll remember, um, we started talking first about the gifts of the Spirit. And that's the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. We started with that list from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, and that list is often the most controversial because there are churches that, that would say that those gifts don't operate today. We're not one of those churches, but there are some that would say they don't operate today. So they become controversial because of, a, uh, of an acceptance that they're not in operation today. Well, we say, no, they're in operation today. And God wants to see them operating through you. And so the Bible tells us that those gifts uh, operate and they are given by Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit determines the need. So you can't just grab one of those gifts on that list and say, that's my gift. No, no, no. Holy Spirit gives those as Holy Spirit determines. And uh, so you may operate one of those gifts today and never operate again in that gift for five years. Uh, but uh, Holy Spirit gives those as the situation arises and is needed. Now, the second list we looked at, this is the list from Romans chapter 12. And this is the, the gifts of prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. And I call these the gifts of the Father because in Romans, it talks to, uh, to us about how these gifts literally are ours. They're written into your DNA. And so this is about who you are. And there's whole surveys you can do to determine what your gifting is this way and how you operate and all that kind of stuff. And so that list is for you. So you can take a hold of that and say, yep, God called me uh, and I've got the gift of serving and I just love to serve and I'm going to get in there and serve. And, and you, you can see these gifts in operation in people that don't even know Jesus yet, right? You ever met those people walking in those gifts and they don't even know the Lord yet. Just think how absolutely incredible it's going to be when it gets redeemed, but they're already operating in their life. And then the third list that we've been looking at is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, This is what we call also known as the leadership gifts. Uh, This is the uh, gifts of apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And this gift list is about the leadership gifts that God has given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So these gifts have been given to the church. We call these the gifts of Christ. And and these, Christ rose from the dead. And the first thing he did was give five gifts to the church so the church would be able to equip its people 
for the work of ministry. And that's what these gifts are primarily for, is for equipping the church for ministry. So then today, we're going to, uh, we're going to look at the last one that we've got to talk about on the list. We're going to talk about the gift of the evangelist. We're going to talk about the gift of the evangelist. And, uh, and then next week, we're going to start, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to start a new series. Let me just tell you a little bit about that. We're going to start a series called Living as Sons and Daughters of the King. And uh, there's uh, multiple things we want to talk about in this. We want to first talk about what it is to live as a son and daughter of the king. Talk about our association, our relationship with our father, and uh, who he is and who we are as his children. But we also want to start talking about what it is to position ourselves as a son or a daughter relationally in the kingdom. And we're going to talk about uh, something you've heard people talk about here, having spiritual fathers or mothers, people that are, are walking with us in community and showing us how to live as a son and daughter of the king. And so we're, we're looking forward. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. And we're going to be talking about that all fall. So make sure you, 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 you bring your notebook and you bring your, your skull cap and you strap it on every week because we're going to take you through some stuff that's going to, I think, really encourage you, bless you, and stretch you uh, over the fall season. And it's going to be fantastic. So what, this morning, as we get to the Word, what is an evangelist? What is an evangelist? Well, the word evangelist comes from a Greek word that is, you, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this, euagalistes, I think is how you pronounce it, euagalistes, which is fairly close to evangelist in our English form, uh, euagalistes. And that word appears three times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, it says, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. So that's one of the places Philip is specifically called an evangelist. It's also found in Ephesians 4, verse 11. Our text today, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And it's found in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, but you keep your head in all situations and your hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's Paul talking to Timothy. <clears throat> so the association between the evangelist, though, and the gospel message is inseparable. Why? Because the word uh, euagalistes is based upon a word called euangelion. And that word euangelion in Greek simply means the good news. That's what that word means. And that's the word we get the word in English gospel from is from the good news, the euangelion, the good news message. And so the, the work of the evangelist is hard to separate from the message of the evangelist. And that's why if you wanted to know what is an evangelist, the answer is simple. It's a preacher, a declarer of the gospel, of the good news. An evangelist is a preacher, a declarer of the, God, of the good news. The God news, the good news, amen? The gospel. Now, as I mentioned uh, several weeks ago and last week, uh, Jesus is the perfect representation of all of these five gifts, right? So Jesus was the first apostle. Jesus was the ultimate prophet, right? Jesus was the greatest teacher. And Jesus was the most passionate, compassionate shepherd, uh, pastor that ever walked the earth. By the way, excellent job Mark did on the pastor last week. Wasn't that incredible? 
I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't tap into his heart there last week, amen? Come on, you can do better than that. Don't, don't. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, I was telling him, you know, I love the, uh, the story of, of, uh, of, you know, the, what was the guy's name you had to help out of the Grand Canyon? Casey, of, of under, illustrating what it is to walk alongside somebody is sometimes getting behind them and just gently encouraging them up the hill. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and we need people that walk with us. And that's essentially one of the, the callings of the pastors is just come alongside you and to say, you can do it. You can make it. You can ascend this hill. You can pull through. You can be the overcomer in this situation. Amen. And how many know we need lots of people in the church to operate in that gift? And to come alongside people and say, you can do it. You can rise above. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to be defeated by this. I know it looks like those surrounding you are bigger, but look beyond that and you get alongside them and you encourage them and help them up that mountain. It was really good, Mark. Praise the Lord. And uh, I was uh, grateful for that last Sunday. Well, so since the, the preacher or the evangelist and the message are hard to separate, that the root word of evangelist is the gospel, right? Then we should probably talk about that message. We should talk about what is the message of the evangelist. The message is the good news. <clears throat> it's the good news. Everybody say good news. good news. So if the gospel is good news, then what makes it good? Another question is, is there bad news? Right? If there's good news, is there bad news? And if it's called the good news, why is it good news? Well, when we tell people that they need to be set free to be saved, that someone died for them, uh, that they've been washed in their blood, that they're, they were captives and now they're free, they can be free, we're telling them, you know, the good news, but we're also telling them bad news at the same time. Because if we reject that message, then that's bad. If we accept that message, it's good. So the gospel is good in itself, but the alternative of rejecting the gospel would certainly be bad, right? And what we need is a revelation from the Lord of how good the good news is. Does that make any sense to anybody? And when we have a revelation of how good it is, right, then we go, wow, I have my, my epiphany, my aha moment, my V8 moment. You know those commercials on TV? I could have had a V8. Have you ever seen those? And, uh, I, I, you know, I can't stand V8, but, but I'm like, I like that, you know, epiphany moment they have. And I see many people in Christ are like that. They're all of a sudden, one day they just go, I could have Jesus. Yes, you could. And then everything changes, right? We have that epiphany and everything changes. But until a person recognizes that, until they have that moment, that epiphany moment, that revelation, they're still a prisoner, right? They may think they're free, but they're still a prisoner, and uh, they may look at the person who's bringing them the message of the gospel and think they're nothing but a raving lunatic or a crazy person. But we still have to recognize it's good news. Paul the Apostle declared the reality of the gospel and how it's good news to many, but not to others. He said this in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, 18. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross, listen to this, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So did you hear what he said? The gospel is not good news if you're perishing, it's foolishness. 
But if you've had an epiphany, if you've had a revelation, then the Bible says it's, it's a life-giving good news to those who have embraced by faith the gospel, the good news. And then we go, wow, for us, it's, it's life. For us, it's the very power of God. So what's the difference? It's our faith that makes that message good or bad or foolishness, right? It's our faith activated, and when we trust the message, we recognize how good it is. I put it this way. To we who are being saved, then, it's good news. But you can understand how to those who are perishing, it would seem to be foolishness. To call the torturous death of an innocent individual on behalf of the guilty, good news seems ludicrous until you realize that you are, in fact, the guilty individual. Right? Once you have that revelation that you are the guilty individual, then, well, by golly, it's good news. Amen? Then you realize, okay, somebody endured that for me. I get it how this is good news. Praise the Lord. And that's what we need. And our job is to declare that truth, that message to the world in such a way that they get a revelation that it's good news in their own life. Now, the gift of the evangelist, like all of the other five gifts, is to train and equip people to do evangelism, just like it's to train and equip people to teach, to train and equip people to lead, to train and equip people to operate in the prophetic or to pastor, right? It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what they do. So this is important. The work of the evangelist is not just to declare the gospel and preach the gospel, but it's to equip us to carry the gospel, to minister the gospel. And that's a responsibility that every one of us has and shares. Second Timothy 4, 5 says, Paul instructing Timothy says, you keep your head in all situations, as I read earlier, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. So whether it's because Paul recognized maybe Timothy carried the gift of evangelist, or whether he was just as an evangelist himself and an apostle, he was imparting the ministry of evangelism to the body of Christ, we see that happen in that verse. But if that was the only one we had to go on, maybe we'd be able to say the average person in the pew is off the hook as far as evangelism is concerned. But that's not the only one we have to go on. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Uh, I believe Adam alluded to this verse earlier when he was up here talking, but trying to steal my message this morning, you know. But it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. And listen to this, church. As though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. We implore you, therefore, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The ministry of reconciliation has been given to every Christian. And it's as though God himself is making his appeal to the world through us. I got to tell you something this morning. It's his only plan. His plan for growing the kingdom of heaven is us. He has no backup. He's not sending a chorus of angels to come down to Times Square and blow trumpets and announce that Jesus Christ is here. He already did that in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, right? Are you hearing me? 
He's not going to raise a bunch of prophets up out of the grave and get them to walk in the streets and everything else and, de and declare Christ. No, not going to do that. He's not going to do any of these things that you might see in the Old Testament. Any that. No, no, no. His plan for sharing the good news of the kingdom is you. Turn to the person beside you and say, it's you. And now you look at that person and say, it's me. It's me. You see, this is his plan. Now you can say, not a good plan. But who are you to argue with God? It's his plan. And you know what? Uh, there are literally more believers on the surface of the planet today than if you added up going back 50 years, right back to the time of Christ and add them all up together. That the gospel is spreading at a rate today that is unprecedented. We look through the very narrow lens of Canada and we say, oh man, it's so hard and, the, and everybody is so, you know, uh, antagonistic to the gospel. But when you look around the world, that is not the case. And it is, I mean, literally mission fields are cracking open everywhere and God is redeeming people to himself. It's unbelievable what God is doing around the world today. In fact, you have to be a believer to believe it. You know, you, you, you have to have had a revelation of how powerful God is to comprehend what God is doing globally. It's so, it's so incredible that now we have people coming from other countries that we, as North Americans, evangelize, and now they're coming over here to evangelize us. Hello? They are. My wife and I, a number of years ago, we were in Banff sitting there, uh, at the hotel and down in the hot tub and we met a couple from Korea. Remember this, dear? I said, oh, what are you doing here? Oh, we're coming to evangelize the heathen in Canada. <laughs> I says, pardon? And he goes, yeah. He says, God sent us to Canada to bring the gospel to Canada because Canada needs Jesus. Wow. I was like, that was a very humbling night. And then he goes, what do you do? <laughs> Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a pastor. <clears throat> oh, no condemnation from whatsoever. He goes, well, isn't it great that we have such a harvest field here in Canada? And he just started talking to us about the harvest field. Hallelujah. True story. Very humbling experience. Praise the Lord. So there you have it. We've all been given the task to evangelize. And this example was set by Jesus himself. Luke records it in Luke chapter 4. Listen to this, verse 16, uh, 21. He said, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. In other words, Jesus went to church on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> wow. But it wasn't just that Jesus was the fulfillment, that, that he was the individual who had been anointed, but he was talking about the, the fact that the gospel now had been encapsulated and completed, and it's here, and it's ready for us to declare it to the world. And Jesus was the one who spoke that and set the example as an evangelist for us to go out into all the world 
and to preach the gospel. So we know that Philip was specifically called an evangelist in the scripture, only one that was specifically called one. But we do hear about the evangelism responsibility of the church and of every person all the way through scripture. But if you were to look at an evangelist, what does an actual evangelist look like? This is an interesting question, and I wanted to kind of meditate on this for a minute. Because I think we get, we get pictures in our mind of what these gifts look like that are not really rooted in Scripture. They're just rooted in cultural experience. So don't get me wrong. This, I'm not picking on anybody. I love Billy Graham. I love the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, I love uh, Will Graham. We had him here in 2019. It was an incredible time. Just amazing. And, uh, absolutely love the anointing of evangelist on his life. But you don't have to have Billy Graham crusades to be an evangelist. Hello? In fact, one of the reasons I love the Billy Graham Association is because the emphasis for them is not on Will or on Billy, but is on training and equipping the church to evangelize. And so they understand that if Will, Billy Graham's grandson, is indeed an evangelist, it's his job to equip the church for the work of ministry, right? So they come into a city and they, they invested literally tens of thousands of dollars in our community and they, they paid for everything. We raised a, a, literally a, a portion of that budget, but it was a small portion compared to the amount of money that was invested in our community. And they spent weeks training and equipping and raising people up for evangelism and then teaching them how to disciple people and to walk with them and to encourage them and after the fact. And that's why that ministry has been around for so long and why it's so successful because they understand what evangelism is and what an evangelist is. But we tend to have a picture in our mind though that it's just somebody who stirs up your emotions. An evangelist is somebody who, you know, comes into town, blows in, blows up, blows out, right? You've heard that phrase before. But they need to be more than that. They need to be somebody who carries a love for the people in their heart. And uh, they need to be somebody who uh, is motivated by the lostness of the people that they see around them and a desire to equip the church to reach those people. They have to be somebody who's accepted God's call to take the time to equip people with the gospel message and how to deliver that message. I would say maybe the most notable quality of an evangelist is the cry of Rachel in their heart. Remember Rachel, right? And she called out to God. She said, God, give me children or I die. And I think there has to be a, a, a heart in the evangelist that says, Lord, give me souls or I'll perish. They have to have that spirit and that anointing on them where Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. If I don't stand up and declare this truth, if I don't let people know the good news, then woe unto me means judgment unto me if I don't do this. Do you understand that's what he was declaring? They have a passion for souls to come into the kingdom of God. And that's why for them it's not enough just to preach themselves. They have to equip others because one person can only do so much. But if you equip others, then you're multiplying your gift and you are accomplishing much, much more than if you just went out and did it on your own. Someone say amen. amen. To the evangelist, there's nothing sadder than the church of Jesus Christ not having spiritual babies in it. Nothing. You know, it's like the 
I, I saw this cartoon clip once. It was a great big cathedral. And this minister is taking this young couple through, through the facility. And they come to the, uh, to the sanctuary. And this is enormous cavernous sanctuary. And there's one gentleman with a Bible sitting in a pew by himself at the front of the church. And the minister walks up. And uh, you see they... The, the couple says, oh, where are all the rest of the people? And he said, well, here at this church, we're not focused on quantity. We're focused on quality. One person sitting there devoutly reading the scripture, focused on quality, not quantity. How many know Jesus would like us to have both? I know I've had people say to me, I don't like, like it when the church grows. I like, I just like to be with my people. I understand that. So get into a small group, be with those people, and then bring other people to the kingdom of God. Because it's not about your comfort, it's about people's souls. It's about getting the gospel out to other people. About recognizing that they're desperate and they need hope. And you have a hope in you that you cannot afford to put a cork in and sit on it. Hello? Amen. I'm going to throw one more thing in that the Lord gave me this morning, just reminded me of, and I thought I've got to share this. I think the other thing about an evangelist, if you want to know another mark of an evangelist, is that they're unoffendable. I think of all of the five leadership gifts, they're probably the most unoffendable. They're the ones that get yelled at, have things thrown at them. You know, I remember John Wesley's story, him talking to him, praying to the Lord, thinking maybe there's something wrong with his relationship with God because he hadn't been persecuted in weeks. And then he's riding on his mule into town. You know, he's a circuit preacher riding on his mule into this town. And some farmer looks at him and says, is that you, Wesley? And he picks up a stone. He throws it on You get out of my town. And he said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> he was getting some persecution going on, right? And, you know, I think that literally an evangelist has this edge that they just are unoffendable people. And, I, I, and it reminded me of the story, how many know who Steve Hill is? You guys know. He was, he was the evangelist that was at the center of the Brownsville Revival, right? And he, and he, he came into town uh, to preach revival meetings and ended up being there for years, right? And just daily, just preaching the gospel, thousands coming to Christ. And I, and I remember Steve Hill sharing this story. And... Uh, he, his, his idol in life, the person that he just admired more than anybody was Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, Leonard Ravenhill's written a number of books, but my favorite was Why Revival Tarries. It's an amazing book. If you, if you want to get convicted uh, about, uh, you know, not doing enough for the kingdom of God, just get a hold of Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Terry. You'd be like, oh my God, am I even saved, Lord? You know, one of those books just cuts you right to the core. But anyway, Steve Hill just loved Leonard Ravenhill. And he was you know, writing him and calling him and not getting any response. And he, want, he so wanted to be mentored by Leonard Ravenhill, right? So he, he's doing this. And finally, finally, he gets a, uh, he phones and Leonard answers the phone and he says, I, I really want to be mentored by you. He said, I really want to, to meet you. And he says, I, I, I just would, I want to submit my life to you. And Leonard says to him, all right, he's going to be at my house such and such a day at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, he lived like three hours away. So he had to get up at you know, six in the morning, he had to drive to Leonard's house. He had the address and he gets the address out and he arrives and he pulls up at the front of the house and he's like, I'm about to meet Leonard Ravenhill. And he's just so excited, right? He gets out of his car and he walks up on the door 
And Leonard Ravenhill opens the door, hands him a piece of paper, and slams the door shut in his face. Boom, like that. And he's like, what just happened? And then he takes a piece of paper, he opens it up, and it says, the man of God does not take up offense. That was it. Lesson number one for the evangelist. You got to be unoffendable. He turned around, he went back to his car, sat in his car, and drove three hours back home. A week later, he phoned up Leonard Ravenhill. He said, yeah, who is it? He said, Steve Hill. What do you want? I got the message. Can we meet again? <laughs> and he goes, yes, we can. And then Leonard started mentoring him. He broke through the offense, and he was mentored by one of the greatest, uh, probably, men of God that we've seen in the last hundred years. We have to be unoffendable people if we're going to share the gospel. Our, our message today is not popular with our, you know, uh, social elites. It's not. It's not a popular message with social elites. But it's still the same message. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It still brings life and hope and clarity and understanding and healing and deliverance and power. And some of the things that we hold dear to are not popular. But guess what? It doesn't matter. We have to be unoffendable. I tell people all the time that the key for us as Christians is not to reinterpret the Scripture in the light of our experience, but to reinterpret our experience in the light of Scripture. Did I need to say that again? We should not interpret our, our, our scriptures, the Bible, in light of our experience. But we need, to, we need to judge our experience in the light of scripture. So when we encounter something or we feel something in our life, we need to take it to scripture. We don't modify the scripture to match our experience. We instead say, Lord, how can my life experience line up with the scripture? Help me to come in alignment with your word. And when we do, we will find that God begins to unravel things for us and unpack life for us in such a powerful way, it will absolutely blow our minds. But we have to submit ourselves to the truth of his word. Are you hearing me this morning? And the evangelist calls people to the Jesus of the word, right? To the uncompromising person of Jesus Christ, who loves us beyond measure, who the Bible says, while we were formed in the womb, knew us and called us with great purpose. And we present that gospel. And, and sometimes people in the beginning will reject it. What is our job to do when they reject it? It is to love them until they accept it. Do you hear me this morning? We just keep loving them. You know, you get the door slammed in your face, you go back a second time, a third time. You love on people. You don't stop loving because Jesus never stops loving. Hello? That's the heart of an evangelist. We become unoffendable people. I've had to, as a, uh, over the years, you know, in ministry, become unoffendable. If, if, if there's a profession in, in the Christendom that you could pick up a fence, it would be pastoring. If you were the kind of person that picked up a fence, it would be really easy to pick up a fence as pastor. You know, there's all kinds of people who are willing to give you lots of advice on how to do everything that you do. No shortage. No shortage. They're out there. 
you could probably develop a complex that you're not very competent, that you're not this or you're not that, and you know, and this wasn't up to this person's standard, and this wasn't up to that, and uh, you know, and it goes on and on. But the reality is, is that you become unoffendable. Otherwise, you end up, if they pick up an offense, becoming someone who's not able to be effective for the kingdom of God. But if you will become unoffendable, then God can do anything with you. He can speak through you to anybody if you refuse to take up offense. And you might think that's a weird way to end a message on the evangelist. But I think it's really important. Too many, too many Christians leave a church because they get offended. And you know, when you leave a church because you get offended, you actually fail to deal with the thing that God wants to work in your heart and maybe in the person who offended you's heart. You actually avoid growth by moving because you're offended. Because growth comes through working out offense, through dealing with offense and slaying the beast in your life and helping someone else slay it in theirs. And when we deal with that, when we deal with that dark, dark offense in our life, we get liberated like you would not believe. So I decided quite a number of years ago just to become unoffendable. You could tell me anything you want, you can say anything you want. Now, if you say it about my wife or my kids, you know, you might want to duck. But, but you can say it about me, I'm unoffendable. You know what I'm saying? And, and we need to become that kind of people. Because the message we carry, the message we carry is foolishness to those who are perishing. But when they have an epiphany, it is the very power of God. And so we want to introduce them to the power of God. We're going to have to become unoffendable. If you want to be unoffendable, just raise your hands this morning. Life really begins when you become unoffendable. Now, if you're sitting here going this morning, well, I, I kind of like to be, but I've got a couple of fences here that I'm working on, and, uh, and they really, I'm really enjoying them. Or, or, or here's might me not, maybe that's too tongue-in-cheek. It's not that we, we're, we are enjoying them. We feel protected by them, right? We hold on to the offense, and the offense that we hold on to is like a like a wall, we say, I'm not going to let that person hurt me again, right? And that's what we use. That's why we justify offense because we call it a boundary. We call it a, you know, uh, something that we put up around our life to protect our heart. And, and I understand boundaries. And I think we do need boundaries in life, but I don't think that's the same thing. I think you can put up a boundary, have proper expectations and boundaries in your life of people without having offense. You understand what I'm saying? And I think we can do that. You just have to be, you know, for example, there's people that have said things to me, deeply offensive and all the rest of it, and, and I forgive them, and I can see them on the street, talk and everything else, have a great time, you know, chat and everything else, but I'm probably not going to get them to take care of my retirement portfolio. <laughs> it's a boundary I put up, you know. They, they were, were not very good to me or kind to me, so trust my future to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? However, since I have no offense in my heart, I can love on them and be a blessing to them and have conversation and encouragement with them, but I've got a boundary. And it says I, I, I maybe shouldn't entrust this to them, but I can still love on them. Do you understand the difference now? So God wants us to get rid of the offense in our life, become unoffendable because we have a message to give to people and we've been charged. We've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Every single one of you. 
So it's good to see so many people back this morning. We still got a few empty seats here. Let's fill them up next Sunday. Find somebody that you think has an offense against you and invite them to church next week. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll bet you we could double the size. We just each went and got one person we think's offended with us. We brought them out. We'd double it in one week. But, you know, I'm just encouraging it. Invite somebody out. You know, uh, just ask God if there's somebody that I believe God wants to call people home. And I believe sometimes those people that we think are offended or we're offended with, if we would make the first step, it could become some of the best friends of your life. If you just let Holy Spirit do the healing. So I want to encourage it, you know. Be unoffendable and do the work of the evangelist. Encourage people, speak into their life, invite them out, do whatever it takes for you to be able to be a blessing with the gospel, the good news in their life. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. It is 1135, according to the clock back there, and my watch as well. Um, I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life when I've been tempted to pick up that offense. And when I've laid it down, it's produced the greatest fruits in my life. And so I want to encourage you to lay it down this morning. If you've got an offense in your heart, I want you to, I want you to lay it down at the feet of Jesus today. Just lay it down and be free. Lay it down and be free. And I think you'll find if you lay it down, and, and you might be 100% correct in all of the things that happened. You know, all the things that they did, you might, you might be absolutely correct. 100% correct. My experience is you typically aren't. There's usually a smattering of things you did, they did. But you may be 100% correct, but you can still let it down. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus and be free. You can do it. And I encourage you to do it today. Father, we are here in your presence this morning. And we have all had occasion to be offended. And Father, and if we carry out your ministry of reconciliation, there will be people to whom this message is foolishness and they will find it an offense. And we will have to be unoffendable people to carry that message. But Father, we need to start with the offenses we already have in our heart and deal with them right now. So Lord, as a body today, we take those wounds, those hurts, those things that we have. Maybe it was someone just didn't live up to our expectation. Maybe they, they did something deeply hurtful to us. But Father, we lay it at your feet today and we say, Father, help me to become unoffendable. Help me to, Lord, lay this at your feet and leave it there. And Father, from this place, rise up as somebody who is healed of the Lord, carries your love and joy in their heart. And Father, is willing to give it away even to those that have caused offense. Father, we recognize that, Lord, that your gospel message is sometimes hard for people to accept, but I know that, Lord, if we will love them with an unoffended heart, and we will, Father, continue before them with that same heart of Christ, that, Father, that in the end, love will cover a multitude of sins. Father, love will break down the walls, and that, Father, the gospel will be able to embrace their heart. They'll have their epiphany, their V8 moment, and say, ah, I need Jesus. And Father, we pray for that epiphany in the hearts of lives of people all around us every day. And Father, we ask that God, you would help us to have a heart that is unoffendable, that we could present that truth to them, that love to them. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Amen.